What we're going to do tonight is we're going to take up in Romans chapter 14. Uh, last week we had the first 12 verses of this chapter. Um, and tonight we're going to pick up with the second half of this chapter, Romans chapter 14. And I want to title this lesson, A Matter of Conviction. I wasn't smart enough to figure that out last week. It would have been a good title for part one. Uh, but this section of Scripture, Romans 14, it's fascinating because the entire chapter really deals with personal convictions. Now, what a personal conviction is, is it's something that a person has in their walk with God that they feel like they're not going to do this particular activity anymore because they feel like that refraining from that gives honor to God in their walk with God. Then also, a personal conviction can be somebody that decides they're going to do something for God in their walk with God. It's something that is personal between an individual and God in their relationship that's not in the Bible listed as a sin for everybody that they shouldn't do. It's also not in the Bible telling everybody they have to do it, right? It's something that's personal between an individual and God in their relationship. The problem is, is that in many uh, assemblies, the pulpit will preach the pastor's personal convictions for everybody and preach it as a, a, a law for everybody to follow because the pastor has this personal conviction not to do this particular thing. He preaches nobody should. Or because the pastor has a personal conviction that he's going to do this thing in his walk with God, he preaches everybody ought to do this thing. Now, on the same token, it's not just the pulpit. I, I'm, I'm just going to go all the way in there tonight because, well, because my name's Arliss, that's why. <laughs> it, there's a, most of the time in almost every given assembly, there's the one lady or the one brother that after somebody brand new goes to the altar and you see that one lady or that one man heading for him, you're like, oh, no. Because you know that lady's going to come up to that woman and say, okay, that's so awesome. You repented tonight or you got the Holy Ghost or you're going to get baptized. Here's your list of what you got to stop doing now. Here's what you need to stop wearing. Here's the way you need to stop talking. And if it ain't a lady, it's a man in almost every assembly. I have almost three decades. As a matter of fact, in November, I'm going to celebrate my 30th Holy Ghost birthday. Mm. And, and we're going to have venison. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, one I haven't even got yet. <laughs> that's, that's a word of faith, folks. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so... I've been around long enough to know that in almost every assembly there is such a person. Now, I'm going to say this. The reason there is such a person in an assembly is because there's a pulpit with no spine. Because the pulpit knows that person is there, but hasn't had a conversation with that person to say, stop this. It's not your job to clean fish. That's God's job. That's not your job to hand whoever comes back from the altar repentance a list of their new do's and don'ts. You know whose job that is? It ain't even the preachers. 
It's God's. And God will do it. Every one of you know on your own that there's things that after you committed your life to God totally and said, okay, God, my relationship with you is the most important thing in my life. And if I can get that right, it'll make everything else better. So Lord, talk to me. Let me know things that I'm doing that you don't like and I'll stop. And you know that God did. There are some things in your own in your own life, and it might not have been something anybody could point to a book and a chapter and verse and say that's a sin. But you started to feel funny about that thing where you never did before, you never heard a priest. Guess what? That was God dealing with you individually, just like you asked Him to. But if He deals with you individually about something, and you can't find a chapter to verse that says don't do that thing, you don't take that to everybody else and say that's a sin for you to be doing right. that. Yeah. No, it's not. If that was a sin for everybody, it would be in this book, first of all, and, or God would have dealt with everybody else about the exact same thing, right? That is what's referred to as a personal conviction. My personal convictions are not meant to be heaved onto you, thrown onto you, or demanded that you abide by. Even if I'm the one that has the office of the pastor and assembly, that's not right. Right. And this chapter teaches it. It's such a wonderful chapter. The entire chapter, it starts out the first half, starts out about talking about people that decide that, that they want to be a, uh, uh, what is it, the people that only eat plants? Won't eat no meat? A vegetarian. A vegetarian. And it says, okay, look, that person that wants to be a vegetarian and feels like God wants them to be a vegetarian, that, that first section, half of 14, teaches don't make fun of them. And don't think what they're doing don't count for nothing because it does. But it also teaches that if you know that you don't have to be a vegetarian and you like your sirloin on the plate, right? And you like it nothing but a knife like Fred Flintstone, that when you're around that person that, that has that conviction that you don't make fun of them. And you also, you don't sit down next to them at the table at the potluck with a great big old stack of pork chops on your plate, right? Now, everybody's together and we're not all going to eat just vegetables because brother so-and-so is a vegetarian, but we need to have respect for his conviction. If we know that he feels real strong about that, guess what? I'm still eating my pork chops. I'll just eat over there with the other carnivores, right? That's what the whole first half of the chapter is teaching. And it teaches that the ones that are weak, and here's the thing, Paul is specifically talking about uh, the, the, the offerings on the altars and people that eat meat and people that don't. And what he's saying is, is that the people that feel like it's a sin to eat meat, that their faith is weak. Now, he doesn't mean that they're a weakling. What he means is, is that in their walk, they haven't walked very long. They're not very strong, so they feel like that's wrong. And God hasn't revealed to them any different, right? So they're not real stable on their legs in their walk with God yet. So he teaches that those of us that are stronger in our faith, in other words, that have been at this a little bit longer, not to offend those that are weak, those that are new, those that have these beliefs and feel like it's a sin, even if we know it's not a sin, right? We're not supposed to argue with them. That's another part of that first half of the chapter. We're not supposed to argue with them over stuff that don't matter. Don't offend our brother. So what it really teaches is everybody counts. Everybody. But we don't shove our convictions on anybody else, right? Now, one of the best examples that I have for that, that I've seen over and over and over and over and over again, personally, that, that I can use for men 
uh, in the apostolic faith is facial hair. There is no sin for men to have facial hair. Actually, uh, the distinction between the sexes is what they use for those things. But then they tell guys like me that you need to have a, a face as smooth as your wife's. And it's like, dude, I'm confused. What they did was somebody had a conviction. And I've, I knew a pioneer uh, Elder Brother Sickles, remember? He was in his 80s when me and Kitty got in church in 92. And he would tell me about the old brush arbors. He would tell me about working all day, riding the wagon home, going in and getting a pail with some food, coming out and getting on a horse, riding for an hour, staying at a brush arbor revival until one in the morning, riding back and going back to work and doing that for weeks. And I asked him, I said, Elder, can you tell me where they got the facial hair stuff from? He goes, I, I was there when it happened. He said that in the 60s, that when the hippies came out, they started growing their hair long, their beards long. And he said the reason they did that was a specific reason. Then they said that this is my sign of rebellion against everything. And he said that the preachers in that generation said, okay, if that's their sign of rebellion, we're going to be the opposite of that. We're going to all be clean shaven. Now, that was one man's conviction who happened to be a man with influence, had an office or something in the apostolic organizations and started preaching that and everybody fell in line. And that's why today there are Pentecostal parents. I coined that myself. They're Pentecostal parents. They don't know why they're saying what they're saying, like our parent Ralphie. He'll just repeat stuff he's heard. He don't know why he's saying it. He can say it at a really crazy time that ain't got nothing to do with what's going on. He's just repeating what he's heard with no understanding. A preacher that stands in a pulpit and preaches against facial hair is preaching what he's heard with no understanding, right? Now, I've been around brothers that somebody that has facial hair, they'll tell them, hey, you know, God ain't pleased with that man well if you got a problem with that you're just not in submission like whoa what okay right that's somebody shoving a conviction onto somebody else and somebody that's got facial hair that ain't been around long enough they can get sensitive to that and they can get their feelings hurt and i know men that left the apostolic church because of that and never went back over something as dumb as facial hair and they got ran off by a dummy said what i said now, the thing on the woman's side of it that I've seen over the years is I've seen women do the same thing over skirts and over cutting the hair. Now, they take that from an old scripture in Deuteronomy that says a woman shall not wear that which pertaineth to a man. Now, okay, maybe somewhere back down the road uh, that meant pants, but guess what? It don't today, and the way I can prove that is every apostolic preacher I know of that's asked me about this because they found out I don't believe that's what it means, right? That it don't mean specifically pants or skirts and we have a discussion they get upset with me and I don't get upset. There's nothing to be upset about. And I always end it the same way. I said, okay, brother, what's your waist size? They'll tell me their waist size. And I'll say, I'm going to go to Walmart. I'm going to buy a pair of women's pants in your waist size. I'm going to give them to you brand new, whatever color you like, whatever brand you like. And you, will you wear them? No. Why? Because they're women. What? Right. They're women's what? Yeah. Then they get red in the face. Conversation's over. Now, listen. The woman that is convicted. My wife don't wear pants. Because that, guess what? That's her conviction. 
But that's not the Word of God saying women don't wear pants. It says women don't wear that which pertains to a man. You know these lesbians you see that even though they say there's a third uh, kind of gender, they do their best to look like a man. You know what they do? They go to the men's section at Walmart, buy men's pants, a man's shirt, a flannel, and they try to look as manly as they can, right? That's what the principle in Deuteronomy is teaching, that a woman should not dress in a way that makes her try to look like a man, and a man should not dress in a way that makes a man look like a woman. And the reason it taught that is so we wouldn't be in the position the United States of America is in today, right? It's the truth. Now, with that personal conviction, the woman that has the conviction over the wearing the skirts, man, that's awesome. Great. If God told you, you better, right? But the woman that has a conviction over the skirt, don't go to the woman that don't and say, you know, you shouldn't be in them britches. Right, right. And I've met plenty of women over the years that do that. Yeah. We don't play that. You know why we don't play that? Because the Bible don't play that. Right. And I got verses for you here in just a minute. I promise, okay? But we don't play that because that's a personal conviction, right? Now, if a woman comes to church and she's got the flannel trying to look like a dude and trying to walk like a dude and got stuff strapped down, trying to make them invisible, trying to be a man, what we're going to do, we're going to treat her just as good as anybody else and we're going to worship God like we always do and let there be an atmosphere where they make contact with God. God will talk to them about anything He wants to fix. I guarantee you He will. Right? And if and if they reject that long enough, sooner or later, boneheaded preacher that loves souls like I do and wants everybody to go to heaven is going to talk about stuff, right, from the Bible. And then they'll have a decision to make. But whatever decision they make, if they make the wrong one, it won't be because they weren't loved or treated just as good as anybody else. Right. It won't be because of that. I promise you, as long as I'm breathing, it will not be, right? The other thing is cutting of the hair. Now, the scripture teaches that uncut hair, that that gives power with the angels for a woman. One of these days, if I got an hour to waste, I'll teach on just that. But personally, I think it's part of a Bible study, a bigger one, right? But it teaches that uncut hair in a woman gives power with the angels, and that's glory for her covering. And it teaches in that same section of scripture that the, one's, the woman's covering is the man. So when a woman decides, you know what, I'm not going to cut my hair anymore. I want all the power with angels I can get. Well, cool. That's awesome, right? That, that's a decision you make. Pretty smart. I take as much power as I could with the angels too, okay? And that brings glory to your covering. But the Bible does not teach that a woman that cuts her hair is going to hell. It don't teach that, no. right? So in our church family, we're going to stay in the book even if it makes other people think we're all this. I don't care what other people think. You know who I care? Who, what, who thinks about us? Him, man. So in this church family right here, if a sister, if I teach on hair, which one day I will, it'll be part of a, another lesson too, right? But when I teach on it, if a lady decides, you know what, that okay, I'm in, cool, that's awesome. And if a woman decides, well, that's cool, but you know, I'm gonna keep doing what I do, guess what? That's awesome too. That's your personal decision, right? right. We're gonna love you. You're our sister, you're our brother, continually. So anyway, these are the biggest things that I've seen in the apostolic Jesus name church that the men use on other men and they try to drive it down their neck and have run men off and women have used on other women, try to shove it down their throat and run them off. And that's not the will of God. 
I'll go even one step further and say that if all three of those things, the facial hair for the men and the hair and the, the dress for the woman, if they were salvational, the people trying to jam them down their throats are still wrong. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Man, you never hear me jam Jesus' name down anybody's neck. I'll talk about it five billion times. I will till I'm dead. You know how I be. <laughs> I mean, I will, right? It's important. I want everybody to have the cover of the blood and the authority to use the name. But man, I'm not going to be mean to somebody because they ain't been baptized in Jesus' name. Uh -huh. That ain't what God would have us to do, right? Okay, now that I've got 18 hate mail letters coming, we'll get into the Scripture. <laughs> We're going to start on the second half of uh, Romans 14. Uh, and this is a matter of conviction. Uh, we're going to start with verse 12, which is a verse we ended with last week. And it's a reminder. So then every one of us shall give account of who? Himself. Himself, man. Now, Paul's not talking about the, the authority in the church or sole responsibility for the ministry, right? I'm going to answer for Nathan, for Lori, for Kitty, uh, for Jimmy, for Stacy. For Abby, for Abby, mm -hmm. for Travis, anybody that I stand in front of and talk to about God, I'm going to answer for. Try that one out for size, right? But as individuals, we have to answer for ourselves. And what Paul is saying right here is mind your business. <laughs> right? That's what he's saying. Mind your business, man. Ain't it hard enough to keep yourself in line? Do you really want to run around trying to get as many more people you can answer for too? Man, I would take this verse, and I did for a long time when I wasn't pastor. I grabbed all that verse and said, Sweet! <laughs> I just got an answer for me and Kitty. It's on, baby. I ain't ever pastoring again. You see how that turned out, right? So, but think about that. It's a relief then, ain't it? So then why would you want to go and put yourself in a position of having to answer for someone else too? If you shove your own personal conviction, oh, this is good stuff. If you shove your own personal convictions down somebody else's throat and it goes sideways for them in their walk with God, you're going to answer for them too. Mm -hmm. So every time Sister Longtongue comes down the aisle with that list of rules, she's adding one more soul, she's going to answer. Every time Brother Smoothface comes down the wall like the Ken doll and runs somebody off with a goatee, he's going to answer for that soul too. Not me, man. Right? So thank God that you only have to answer for yourself in your house. Okay. Let us not, therefore, in other words, because of the fact that we're only going to answer for ourselves, let us not then judge one another anymore. I love this. Paul was dealing with something this church was doing. He wouldn't have said don't do it anymore if they wanted to do it, right? Mm -hmm. So he just said don't. See, this is a pastor with God, ain't it? That's what I was talking about earlier. If you had that stuff going on in the church and you deal with it, guess what? It won't go on in the church or else you'll be looking for another church. And there's 85 of them in the Tri-Cities area would be happy to have you in your tithe. Me? No. Take your money and go on down the street. We're trying to love people around here, right? It's a true story. So Paul's got a church that's doing this. And think about this. He's not even there in the pulpit. But he's started this thing and he's writing back to the church as a whole. And the pastor, how beautiful is that? What kind of pastor must the guy have been to let the guy that started it but then moved on right back with some correction for the assembly? Whoever that pastor was, was confident in who he was in God and knew that Paul loved those people and he read this letter and said, hey, here's what the bishop has to say and I'm listening. That's kingdom-minded, man. 
If you wonder how that fly, well, we'll just move on. <laughs> Let us not therefore judge one another anymore. Stop that. Mind your business. He said, if you're going to judge anything, judge this. Don't put a stumbling block or any reason to fall in your brother's way or your sister's way. He said, if you want to judge something, stop judging what they're wearing. Stop judging what kind of hairdo they got, right? Start judging this. Are you causing any of them to stumble? Are you putting something in their way that's going to cause them to mess up with God? And what he's inferring then is that if I am judging my brother or my sister or trying to impose my conviction on them, I'm putting a stumbling block. A stumbling block means that somebody's got their eyes closed and trusting you to lead them. That's really what new people to God are, right? They got their eyes closed. They're not open yet to everything. And they trust the church to lead them. And we're leading them along. And they think they can trust us. And we put this great big old chair on the floor sideways right in front of them. Say, walk with me. I'll get you to heaven. Splat! What do you think that person's going to do when they get up and they got the big old knot on their head and they busted their lip open and got a tooth missing? You think they're going to come back to this Bible study? No. How many millions of people has that happened to, man? That's why Paul says don't do it no more. We're never going to do it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a charge tonight. Woo. I never got to say something that fancy. <laughs> I'm going to give you a charge tonight. If you ever hear, because listen, remember, we're getting ready to be outnumbered. Not everybody that comes in is going to have the vision. You've been hearing this kind of stuff for almost two years now, right? So you're going to have a lot of people coming in that ain't never heard anything like this. They'd have this. So there's going to be someone come in not have the same spirit that you got and that I got won't share that vision, that heartbeat for God and for lost souls. And they may think they're doing the right thing. And you might overhear somebody saying, hey, man, you know, if you come to this church, you got to do bling, 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 right? If you hear that, come get me. Come tell me. You ain't snitching. You're trying to get a stumbling block out of somebody's way so they don't go to hell. And I'm not going to go to the person that told them that. Say, hey, dude, what, what are you doing? No, I have a little more wisdom than that, Right? I'll know, okay, guess what we got to teach on again? And you guys are hearing me start standing up and go to Romans 14. And you're going, what? I didn't do that. <laughs> right? Because I promise you, I ain't scared. And you know why I'm not scared? Here's one thing I'm scared of. I'm scared of answering for souls that I haven't done right by. And if I ain't got the guts to talk about what needs to be talked about, I'm going to be lost. So I'm going to talk about stuff that needs to be talked about. And if they, and I'm going to do it in the same spirit. I've always done it. I don't think there's been one time I've ever got in the pulpit and been angry or been in the wrong spirit or beat anybody up. I, never, and I won't. So if I do it in the right spirit and they don't receive it and go somewhere else, as much as I hate they went somewhere else, if they can't receive correction, I'm glad they went somewhere else. How can you live for God and not receive correction? Oh, you you in heaven already? Oh, your name Enoch, huh? You just come back to visit for a little while. Is that what happened? Everybody needs correction, right? In the right manner. And if we can't receive it, we're not going to go to heaven anyway. And if the pastor won't correct with the word of God in the right way, then somebody in the congregation that's running around killing folks is going to be a spiritual assassin the entire time. No. No, 
No. Man, I love every single one of you and your families. I do, man. I'll do anything I can to help. I will. If I can, I will. And if I can't, I'll be honest. I'll tell you, man, I can't. But I'll try to find somebody that can. Right? Amen. But guess what? There's a whole lot more other people out there waiting for us to love them too. Right. Yeah. And if they come in and they, God, first of all, you understand? God has to trust us with them. It's a process. First, God trusts us with them because he draws them to us. And then they have to learn to trust us with them. You see? So we have to be trustworthy. We do. So please, help me. You spot that stuff? You're not doing nothing wrong. You're not throwing your brother or your sister under the bus, man. You're trying to keep somebody, drag them out from underneath one they've been thrown under, right? And trust me to handle it the right way. And if I don't, don't ever tell me again. But I promise you, I will. And people are worth it. A brand new person that comes in on the first day is worth just as much as somebody's been there from day one. Yeah. Yeah. And that I can never get far away from that 99 and 1. Mm -hmm. In the eyes of God, sometimes they're worth a little more, ain't they? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So we have to do whatever we got to do to love them the right way, right? Yeah. That's, what, that's what this is about. Okay. Judge this if you want to judge something. Don't be putting stuff in your brother or sister's way. And he says, I know and am persuaded by the Lord that there's nothing unclean of itself. But to him that esteems anything to be unclean, guess what? To him, it is unclean. Now, Paul's not saying everything in the world is clean. You can go out bar hopping and go out. No, that's not what he's saying. He's talking about a particular set of behaviors in this whole section of Scripture, right? And what he's saying is that this guy, you know, I'm convinced that eating meat's clean. It's perfectly fine. But to that dude that thinks that's unclean, it's unclean to him. So you see, that's why we've got to honor people's convictions right. without letting them shove their convictions on us. If it's unclean to him, I'm not going to laugh about that. It may be something that don't make no sense to me whatsoever. And I may know the Bible don't teach that at all. But if God talked to that sister and told her not do that no more, I'm going to help her. So I'm not going to get her in a situation where everybody around her is doing all that either. That's not going to help her. That's going to make her feel out of place, like she don't belong, or maybe this ain't the right place, the right people. No, man, this is the right place. This is the right people. And we're going to support people. Wouldn't you rather show up in front of God having done a little extra than show up there and realize you hadn't done nothing? Right. Yeah. <laughs> right? Exactly. I mean, I ain't going to be mad. God says, you get to come into heaven, Arliss, but you didn't have to do all that. But I ain't even going to hear that last part. I'm already too caught. What about that today? Huh? <laughs> you stand there and say, depart from me. I never knew you. Somebody's going to stand in front of God and say, I cast out devils in your name. I heal people in your name. And I'm not, I'm not, take this in the spirit, I'm saying it. I have cast out devils and God has used me to heal people. I'm not going to stand in front of that same God and tell me I'm not coming in. All right. <laughs> no. And I love every one of you, but I won't do it for you either. Right. Which means I will stick up for you, but I will also teach you the right way, even if it makes you mad sometimes. I know that ain't ever happened. I'm not looking at nobody. <laughs> I know I'm persuaded by the Lord Jesus. Nothing's unclean of itself, but to him that thinks it's unclean, it is. So the woman that, that thinks it's wrong for her to cut her hair, guess what? It is for her. 
The brother thinks it's wrong to grow a mustache, even though I know the Bible teaches the opposite and there should be a distinction. If he feels it's wrong in his walk with God to grow a mustache, brother, I'll help you buy a new razor. Right. But don't be trying to tell me I'm going to hell because I got this right here. Right. You know, I grow this little thing every now and then. I can't grow all that anyway. I could live up 90 and not shave and never get the whole thing. You know why I let this little thing go every now and then? To keep people honest. I really do. I wear it some places just to aggravate some of the people there because I know it will. I do. I like going to biker bar or bars. Wow. Biker churches and walking in there and looking all clean shaven and in my three-piece suit looking like the little cake topper. You know why? Because there's a reverse judgmental too. We can say how we want to. Those people judge us because we got the leather and the, and the goatee and you know they judge me. Well, guess what? When I show up looking like a Ken doll... Half the people in that biker church, thank you very much, look at me and have already got their mind made up. That dude don't know nothing. He never been nowhere. So I get about 15 or 20 minutes. And you can ask, Kitty, I've done this at biker churches. I get about 15 or 20 minutes of my preaching, take my jacket off, and all of a sudden, like, oh. <laughs> then I start sharing my testimony. Oh. And I'll tell them, you know why I came in looking like that? Because I knew you'd look like that, and you need to stop that. I'm telling you. We need to have each other's back, man. Right. Yeah. Somebody comes to you and says they're doing this for God. All right, man, I'll be praying for you. Stay strong in that. I'm not going to open my mouth and say, don't tell me. I got to do it either. I'll wait and see if they do. If they don't, then I know they're mature in their walk with God, right? That's right. Okay. But if any brother be grieved with any meat, with your meat, now walkest thou not charitably or with love. Destroy not him with your meat for whom Christ died. Now remember in the first half of 14, they're talking about the vegetarian that thinks it's a sin to eat meat, right? And so he's saying that for him it is a sin. It ain't for you, but for him it is. So what this is saying right here is that if I offend my brother with my meat, I take my stack of pork chops at the potluck and sit down next to Brother Carrot eating thing, right? I'm going to offend him in his walk. I'm going to hurt him in his walk. And it says now I'm not walking charitably. In other words, I'm not behaving with love. I would do such a thing like that. That ain't very loving, is it? No, it ain't. It don't have to make sense to me. Okay? Destroy not him with your meat. Destroy him not. In other words, if I do things like that, it can destroy him, man. Destroy him. That's some sideways remark out of my mouth that I'm just kidding my brother. Can destroy him. Man, that's powerful words right there. Destroy not him with your meat for whom Christ died. Ow. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. So it can be good. You're eating your meat can be good. Can be, there ain't nothing wrong with it. But if you're doing it in such a way that it's going to mess this brother's walk with God up, guess what? Now there's something wrong with it. Because your good now is spoken evil of. That brother's going to speak evil of it. Hey, man, Jimmy knows I'm vegetarian. He knows that stuff bothers me. Even watching people eat meat. And he came sat down next to me with a stack of pork chops at the potluck. Now I'm speaking evil of Jimmy's good. Well, nothing wrong with Jimmy eating meat, but the way he did it, now it's not good, right? Yeah. That lady coming down the aisle and handing that list of rules to the new sister, it's not good. For the kingdom of God, I love this. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. That's KJV for rules. The kingdom of God is not rules. But righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. 
So I can follow all these rules. And if I ain't got these things, I'm not even in the kingdom of God. <laughs> if the kingdom of God is righteousness, it's not righteous to offend your sister. It's not righteous to offend your brother. The kingdom of God is righteousness. It's peace. If I'm arguing with my brother over the scripture, that's not peace. The kingdom of God is joy in the Holy Ghost. That's not joyful. I just destroyed that sister or that brother. So if I'm not living in a way where I'm trying to live righteous, I'm trying to live in peace with everybody around me, and I have joy in my life, then I'm not in the kingdom of God. I mean, it's right there. I didn't write it. It's what it says. So the kingdom of God ain't rules. So I can follow all those rules. You ever seen some people that follow all the rules and they look uptight, like if they sneeze, they're going to blow apart, man. Huh? You ever seen them women with a knot, the, the bun in their hair is drawn so tight, their face go, huh? And then they stick their hand out, praise the Lord. Like, man, you look like you do some Pepto-Bismol. Yeah. No joy, no peace, no love. So they got all the rules down, Pat, and ain't in the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God ain't rules, man. Righteousness, peace, joy, and the Holy Ghost. Now, these are really cool. This is some heavy, this is some heavy verse right here. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved to men. So if you're if you're somebody that tries to live as righteous as you can and treats people righteously. You're somebody that tries to have peace with everybody in your life. You're somebody that's got joy in your life in God. Then you serve God that way, not by handing out a list of rules. You're acceptable to God and approved to men. That means not only does God love you, but people do too. Who in the world wouldn't? Well, there's some people don't like anybody breathing, okay? But most people are going to like somebody who's righteous, treats them righteous, who's peaceful and treats them peaceful, and who's a joy to be around. So this word is saying that if you live that way, you're acceptable to God and people like you too. See, it shouldn't be that, well, I think God loves me. It ain't my fault nobody else does. <laughs> Something wrong with all them. They just don't like, they just, you know, people just don't want the truth no more. They don't want your truth no more. And the truth of that is they never did. How can you live righteously and in peace and joy in the Holy Ghost and not have nary a friend? <laughs> Family don't even like you. Get out of the car after work and the dog runs to the backyard. <laughs> Come in the house, everybody's in conversation, goes dead quiet. That is not the kingdom of God. It's not, man. Kingdom of God is righteousness. You aren't righteous if you... <laughs> you can't be righteous if nobody likes you. And if you run around saying the reason nobody likes me is because they're all into sin and they know I stand for holiness. No, that ain't it at all. It's not likable. If you have the love of God in you, there's going to be some people that that's like fingernails on a chalkboard. Yes. But most people want to be around people that are happy. Right. Some of them have to get up and walk away after a while and they'll even come back to you and say, I just don't know how you're happy all the time. <laughs> That's true. But you know what the next thing out of their mouth is? How are you happy all the time? Mm -hmm. Right? Yep. 
So you see, there's, see the God in you, right? I mean, it's just, look, if you get all the rules down, but you got no joy, you got no peace, and you don't treat people righteously, then according to verse 18, you're unacceptable to God. He that in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost serve with Christ is acceptable to God, but that means he that does not is not. So we need to focus less on the rules <laughs> and focus on loving God and loving people. Because if we love God enough, he'll talk to us about the rules and then we'll do what he tells us. If we love God enough and the preacher every now and then accidentally stumbles on a verse that teaches us something we didn't know God doesn't like, we're going to love God enough to say, you know what, it's in the book, so I'm going to try not to do that, right? That's how it's supposed to be. And if it was that way, the church would be worldwide, man. Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? Right. And mark my words, as dark as it's getting in our society today, people are going to come looking. Yes. Because they're starting to wake up to the fact that the government not only will not help their family, but is trying to destroy it. Right. That's right. right. Yeah. So when they wake up to that, they're going to wake up to the fact that if the government is trying to destroy it, is there anybody that is here for the specific purpose of helping my family? Is there a group of people anywhere that the only reason they get together is to help my marriage? Is there somebody that will look at all my mess and all my flaws and say, man, you know what? We're glad you're here and we can help you and we want to help you and have no ulterior motive. Right, exactly. And on that day, there's going to be at least one group of people around here and that's going to be us. Because right, exactly. right. <laughs> we ain't going to focus on rules, man. Now, when we get them, we're going to do our best to follow them because right. we love the one that gave the rules. Mm hmm. hmm. Let us therefore, since we know we're unacceptable to God if we don't live in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace. Hmm. See, he didn't just say put in practice. Follow after them. So then when I, when I come across something that makes peace in my life, when I encounter somebody else that does that same thing, then I'm going to follow after them. I'm going to run with them, you see? I'm not going to run with the guy, unless I'm trying to help him, understand me. My best friend that I hang out with all the time and we share things together and I'm acquiring some of his personality traits ain't going to be the guy that's always down-mouthing his wife. Right. I'm going to follow after the guy that every time we talk about our wives, he's bragging on his just like I am mine. I'm going to follow after the things that bring peace, that make for peace. Now, on an individual level, it also means principles that make for peace. Like if I know, you know, we all, uh, in our families, we all know how to push our family's buttons. And when you've been married more than a week, you learn how to push your spouse's buttons. And me and Travis and Jimmy, we like to refer to that as aggravating. You know, there's just a level where you're just aggravating. And really, for people that really love their wives, that's flirting. That's all it is, it's flirting. I mean, you know, we get popped real good. We know she still loves me and we quit, right? That's what we do. I mean, it is. It's what we do. But now, the pushing the buttons that is going to lead somewhere bad for no reason whatsoever, that don't make for peace. No. 
Jesus. And if you've been married long enough, you know when to keep your mouth shut and you know when to open it. You learn fast, right? You learn when your spouse is in the mood to hear something that they know that what you say, that okay, it's right, but right now is not the time. Because sometimes you got to let them vent their anger over that situation and get it out. And then you come back a little later after they know he's on my side, he loves me. And you say, you know, hon, I, I feel like I got something from the Lord on that situation for you for the next time you encounter with it. And you present it then. That makes for peace, right? So when you learn the things that make for or set peace up, you follow after them. Continue to do them. And when you see them in a situation, follow that avenue, not the other one, right? Follow after peace. And things wherewith one may edify another. Boy, that is not in the human nature at all. Build somebody else. Man, what you talking about, man? I got me an eight-point buck today. What are you talking about, man? Huh? You, know what? you know what you do in that situation? You realize all you do is pull the trigger, dude, and you drug the deer, and that wasn't even hard because it was downhill. You understand? <laughs> Travis dialed the crossbow in. Travis saw the deer. I'd be watching Opie in the county jail. That's what would have happened to me. And I went home. No deer today, hon. 18 deer went right across the thing, right? I mean, honestly, that's the truth. But the flesh wants to say, hey, man, I'm the one that made the shot. I could have missed that shot. Hey, I saw one of the blood splatters on the field. Hey, man, I'm going to tell you the whole story from start to finish, Jimmy. And you got to sit and listen the whole time. You better act interested. <laughs> Because I want to build myself up. That's what the flesh wants to do. But what we do as people of God, we take every opportunity we can to do what? Build somebody else up. You see? You know what happens when you build somebody else up? They know you believe in them. They do. You know how rare it is in society to get a compliment? You know the first thing you do when you need a compliment? You check for your wallet. You're right. <laughs> or you tell me, I ain't got no cash, dude. My debit card don't work. You get a compliment in society, okay, what do you want? Huh? Mm -hmm. That ain't the way it's supposed to be in the church. We're supposed to build each other up. We're supposed to look for ways to encourage each other. Can you imagine if we all did that all the time? I mean, for real. And it was sincere. Because you don't have to lie to build somebody up. Because everybody's good at something. Everybody is. Everybody brings something to the table. Everybody in our church family brings something to our church family that if we didn't have that, we would not be the church family we are. Every single person in it, man. <laughs> so it's easy to build people up, especially good people. Exactly. And how could you not? See, what we got to do is we got to make sure when the people come in from the world, we understand that they're going to come in beat up and battered. They're going to come in not trusting nobody. They're going to come up having been betrayed over and over and over again, maybe with no parental figure in their life at all that was healthy and positive and good. So when they come in, we got to expect it's going to be a mess for a while, man. But if we build them up, and you know how we build them up? We build them up by letting them know we're glad you're here. That builds them up. Like, whoa, really? Okay. I'm going to see if I catch you looking at me sideways over here and I got this piercing in my nose during church sometime. I know I'm going to catch you looking at me. And then they don't. It's like, okay, they're really glad I'm here. And then they come back again. Man, look, I'm glad you're here, brother. Man, you just, you, you, you know, we're better for you being here. Every time you're here, we're better for it. That builds them up, right? Instead of focusing on all the mess they have, it don't take a rocket science to figure out they're going to come with a mess. We focus on the parts that are good already, and guess what? The mess will get good sooner or later, won't it? 
That's the way it worked for me, man. That is a little old lady. First one ever invited us over to eat was this little old lady. I mean, a church grandmother. I ain't lying. Nobody else invited me. I thought I'd steal something. Yeah. Who's going to invite me to your house? I mean, I thought, you got glaucoma? You invite me over to your house? You know who I am? She invited me over to that house. And I, man, Sister Wheeler invited us to her house for dinner today. I think I told 15 people in the church, too. <laughs> I still had the long hair, still fresh out of prison. I mean, I hadn't given my life to God really yet. I was still in the process of making that decision. And this church grandmother invited me over to her house. Man, that was a big deal to me. I, mean, I felt like I was a Buckingham Palace, baby. I mean, it made a big deal. So look, in the same token, understand. You might not feel like you matter to anybody at all. Guess what? You do, man. You just never forget this, that everybody that walks in that door for the first time and sees you there, you're the church to them. Mm-hmm. You are. They don't look and say, okay, he was your first, he was your second, she does this, she does that. No. They walk in and say, this is the church. So when you talk to them, or you say, hey, you know, you want to go grab a sandwich after church someday, man? That's going to be a What? You serious? <laughs> yeah, that's gonna build them up. You'd be surprised the effect you have on people. I don't know why he wrote so much. I'm trying to get through this. Uh, okay, so therefore, follow after things that make for peace and things wherewith we may build each other up. For meat, destroy not the work of God. Okay, so remember, he just been talking about the guy that eats vegetables. That the guy that eats meat should not go over and say, I'll eat my meat right in front of you. So he's talking about rules. So what he's saying here is, for rules, destroy not the work of God. And the work of God he's referring to is the person. It's your brother and your sister. Jimmy, you're a work of God, dude. Lori, you're a work of God. Man, you better be... We better be careful how we talk about people. Right. What we say about them. Right. God looks at Nathan and says, that's one of my works right there, yeah. man. Yeah. We can look at somebody and say, man, they ain't nearly where they ought to be. The whole time God's looking and saying, that's one of my works. Uh-huh. You realize that puts you in a category of the sun and the moon and the stars and all the plants and all the animals and anything God ever made? Right. He looks at you and says, that's one of my works too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Woo! And remember, he's referring to the one that everybody else says is weak. He's referring to the dude who thinks he's a sin-eating pork chop. I feel sorry for that, brother, but that's what he thinks. And God's looking at that guy and saying, because you know the rules so well and know that ain't a sin and made him feel like he's a dummy because he thinks that's a sin, you've just destroyed the work of God. Which lines up with one of my favorite things I say in the church is, God trusts us with people Mm -hmm. they're a work of God and we don't know where they are in that work it's a lifetime work you see we never stop being a work of God unless we stop letting God work oh that's good can you remember that one (laughs) no we're in trouble we'll never remember it (laughs) we never stop being a work of God unless we stop letting God work And just because somebody might look or sound or act like they ain't got nothing with God, guess what? If they're here at all, He's working. Right. What Jesus say? No man can come to me except the Father. Draw him. No man can come except the Spirit. Draw him. So just to come in the door on a Sunday, God's working. Right. <laughs> we can't ever count somebody for nothing, man. Never. Mm-hmm. 
Never. Jesus. So for your rules, don't destroy the work of God. All these things are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. So in other words, the dude who eats the vegetables, I got my pork chops. Dude, hey, you get some rules, have a pork chop. Then he looks around, everybody's eating the pork chop, everybody's saying, you go to hell if you don't eat a pork chop. So you make him eat the pork chop, guess what? He just ate with offense. In other words, he ate and he did what everybody peer pressured him into doing, but in his heart, he felt wrong with God. How many people are in the church world today that are doing things because everybody around them is doing it, the preacher's preaching it, their church is preaching it, but they feel in their heart like this is wrong? I would to God I get the chance to teach this to a group of pastors one day. This needs to be taught at a preacher's conference. It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby your brother... Wait a minute, man. When you tell me what I do... How are you judging me being good or not by how I affect my brother? Oh! You mean I can be following all the rules and you ain't going to judge me by all the rules I'm following? You're going to judge me by how I behave around my brother and my sister? Yeah! <laughs> so it's good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. So in other words, it may be fine for you to do, but if you do it and it makes your brother stumble, gives him a problem, now it ain't good. Right. <laughs> Have you faith? Have it to yourself. In other words, you know you need pork chops? Leave that brother eating the carrot alone. Right. See, that has our faith. It doesn't mean like the faith I believe in God. He's talking about the faith in your own walk, your own personal convictions. Do you have confidence that's not a sin? That's fine. Keep that between you and God, big mouth. You don't need to tell the brother who thinks it's a sin. It might be. We just learned it is for him. God may lead him out of that. You know what I've learned over the years? Let me give you this one. And we're almost done. You can tell because the chapter's almost like, you know, that always means something when I'm teaching, right? <laughs> now, I'm going to share this with you, right? Over the years, there'll be convictions God will give people that are new to him just to find out if they will. Now, I'm going to add a layer to that. There'll be convictions God gives the people that have been serving God for a while just to see if they will. And it's harder for us to have been serving God for a while because we think we know something. Somebody's brand new to God, feels something from God. Oh, man, I don't even check the verse of that. I feel that's wrong in the Holy Ghost. They won't do it. Me and a brother, when I first got in, man, it was a bad combination. We got in all kinds of trouble. But we, we worked together, and, and, and we both for a year drank no caffeine. And he was telling me, he goes, man, that caffeine's an addiction. I said, ain't either. And I got a moose cup full of coffee. And moose cup was from Hardy's. Only from remembering things, big plastic cup. Carry that thing around with coffee. I get to the end of it. What I do, kitty? Fill it up again. Got out of prison. That's what you did. You couldn't do nothing else. That's smart. Give a bunch of convicts caffeine and leave them all together and lock them up. That's real smart. One way to kill off all the prisoners, right? So I got this caffeine thing. He said, man, it's an addiction. It's got a hold. You know it ain't. He goes, you know it ain't right for anything to be an addiction. I said, well, dang, you're right. I said, this ain't no dick sign. Quit anytime I want. He goes, okay, let's quit tomorrow. I said, all right, I will. For two weeks, I had a headache. I'm talking about a, oh, I got a headache. It was bad, man, for two weeks. After the second day of the headache, I knew I had a problem. If you withdraw from something, it has a hold on you. 
So I went through the whole two weeks of a headache, and for a year we didn't drink caffeine. For a year. At the end of the year, I felt like it just lifted from me, and I've been drinking coffee ever since. And I am convinced that God did it just to see if he was our master or not. So there's some things God will give you even now, however far along you are in your relationship with God. If you start feeling kind of funky about something, don't start thinking, well, you know, the Bible, the Bible ain't talking to you right now. The one that wrote it is. The living spirit Bible's talking to you now, right? So you get feeling funny about something, try it and see. If you have a hard time leaving that alone, it definitely is God, right? And again, those sacrifices, I mean, honestly, I'm going to throw this out there and I'm going to quit. After you've been living for the Lord for a while, where are the sacrifices? <laughs> so I go from, let's see, you don't get sun up till 7.30, and it gets dark at 6.30, so I go, 11 hours without eating. That's my sacrifice. I do that once a week every week. No. Do me good, miss a few meals. <laughs> After a while, I have a hard time looking around and saying, where is my sacrifice? Mm -hmm. Because really, man, for what I put into this, I get a whole lot more out than I put in all the way across the board. So for me, where is my sacrifice? So we should count it a privilege if you think about it. If all of a sudden we start to feel funny about something, you can't find chapter and verse about it, but you know you feel funny about it, you know what? That's your opportunity to sacrifice. Say, okay, man, you know what? I'm just going to do this. God, I'm done. Or God, I'm going to start, right? And it's a sacrifice. Have your faith, keep your mouth shut. Oh, my bad. Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he that condemns not himself in the thing which he allows. In other words... If you can eat meat and it don't bother you, that's a happy dude. Have at it. Eat all the pork chops you want. Just don't eat it next to the vegetarian that thinks it's a sin. Last verse, next to last. He that doubteth is damned if he eat. See that? That's plain English. Even for KJV, that's plain English. If that dude doubts, if he's got any thought in his mind whatsoever that this might be a sin, it is to him. And he'll feel it if he eats that thing. Because he eats not of faith. In other words, he doesn't eat of confidence. And this is a word, a part of a verse that is very misunderstood today and priests wrong a whole lot. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So what that means when it says whatsoever is not of faith is sin, whatever is not in my understanding of what is right with God is sin. You follow me? Now, for everybody, other than the Bible that tells specifically, Spud, right? For everybody, that can be different. So whatever your understanding of what's right with God, anything outside of that, it doesn't matter if it's Jimmy's understanding or Nathan's or mine or anybody else's, whatever's outside of that is sin. You see? So anything outside of my understanding of what's right so if I think this is wrong for me and I feel wrong when I do it or when, I, when it's around, guess what? It is wrong for me. And I don't have to ask Jimmy, is that wrong for you, brother? I don't need a chapter or verse. And God may just be seeing if I will do it and follow his leading, if I'll just be obedient and do it for him. And if I do, he may lift that one day like he did the caffeine for me. He may just go, whoop, okay, it's all good now. 
You follow me? Does that make sense? Okay. Last verse. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. <laughs> the elders in the church, the ones that been around a little while, ought to put up with the weaknesses of the new ones. Don't mean we let sin run rampant. That's not what it's teaching at all. But what it is saying is, I know better. But they ain't going to mess with my faith because they think that's a sin and I know it ain't one. They ain't going to mess my walk with God up. And I'm going to put up with them. I'm going to walk with them as they grow in God. And when the day comes and they say, you know what, Jimmy? Man, God told me today it's okay. That ain't a sin after all. I'm be like, what? <laughs> you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to build them up and I'm going to say, ain't that awesome God's talking to you, dude? Huh? God's talking to you. That's an amazing thing. Instead of saying, well, I knew it all along. I just didn't want to, you know, didn't want to rain on your parade. I'm all wise. No. I'm going to build them up and say, man, you see how God's talking to you? I'm going to give you an example and I'm done. See that? You know, that means something too, right? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> but I'm going to give you this example. When I, a lot of times when I go somewhere and I can tell God wants to heal, I'll have other people pray for people. Because that shows it's God right. and not the preacher. Right. And you know what it does for that person that prays for that person? That person may have never in their life been asked by anybody to pray for anybody before. And when it's a visiting preacher, he called me. You see that? That's the guy that heals everything. No, that's the part you got wrong, dude. <laughs> and that's what I'm trying to teach you. He's the one that heals. And what it does is it builds everybody up. And that person that gets prayed for by that kid or by the person at the back of the church that ain't involved in anything and doesn't participate in nothing because they don't feel like they're worthy to do anything and they pray for them and they get healed, that one that got healed is going to look at that sister a whole new way, right? Yeah. And they're going to take confidence in each other and it builds everybody up. If we build each other up, and if we remember everybody that comes to the door is a work, and a work in progress, mm -hmm. and we make up our mind not to hinder that progress, even if it doesn't look to us like there's any at all, God will favor us. Mm -hmm. I want all this favor I can get. Amen. Because we need it if we're going to help people. Yes. Lord, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, first of all, for a book. I thank you for a book that gives us your likes and your dislikes. A book we can read that tells us specifically about some things you don't like and some things you do like. Thank you for making it that easy. But Lord, I thank you also that you didn't stop with that. You could have. You didn't have to give us that. But you did. And then when you gave us that, you didn't stop with that. You talked to every one of us individually, right where we're at, about personal things. You talked to each of us about things that, that ain't nobody else's business. It ain't got anything to do with anybody else's walk unless I make it their walk too. Well, Lord, we're not going to do that. 
We're just going to be thankful you talk to every one of us. And the next time we feel funny about doing something, and it's something that we know good and well, ain't no Bible sin, we're going to recognize that's you talking to us. And we're going to give it to you. Because you're the master. But Lord, when that thing becomes a part of our walk with you, we're going to remember it's a part of our walk. You don't belong to nobody else. And we're not going to push it on nobody else. And Lord, whatever he or she or they might look like, sound like, smell like, when they come through the door, help the first thought in our mind be God's working in their life. And he trusted us. 